Hey y'all, my name is Ann Wyatt. I started my career in workforce development with the state of Kentucky in 2010. That experience ignited a deep passion for manufacturing within me. I started this show hoping to raise more awareness around the bright outlook manufacturing careers have. Join me as I sit down with some of the manufacturing industry's most successful change makers and learn how they're partnering people with technology. It's time to give people more meaningful work. This is Workforce 4.0. All right. We are here with Will Healy today, everybody's favorite manufacturing (laughs) and workforce development advocate and, as I affectionately call you, our industry big brother. How are you, Will? I'm doing awesome, man. Really, really excited to join you. And this is actually my first live broadcast ever. So thanks for having me. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for picking Workforce 4.0 to be your first live broadcast. This is super exciting. I'm, I'm but, excited um, too. Yeah, but we've done some content before. So this is this should be this should be a real party. I mean it should be. you know, it should be. Cool. Well, Will, do you want to tell us a, a little bit more about yourself before we get started here today? I know we've got kind of a lot to cover, and I'm excited to learn more about how you're using technology in your current role and then what you think the outcome will be for the workforce long term. Mm-hmm. And then more yep. about getting involved at a local level yep. for workforce development. But give us just your quick intro for the day. Sure. Yeah. So, Will, I'm a mechanical engineer by training out of Purdue University. I got my little Purdue pin here today, and I knew I did not want to design anything. So, I came out looking for what to do and got into sales and marketing and manufacturing and just absolutely fell in love with manufacturing. What we do is amazing. We make stuff, right? I mean, everything that we interact with every day came out of a factory somewhere almost. And so just what we do is cool. I've seen how a tree is turned into a two by four. I've seen how apples are sorted. I've I've seen where your car was built and, and how metal gets turned into extrusions and just so many cool, amazing things. Ice cream, how ice cream's made and, and all those things. And I just absolutely love manufacturing and everything we're doing and, and just feel very passionate about it. I worked at Ballop for 17 years. Ballop is a manufacturing automation company selling sensors, networks, and RFID products. And recently, very recently, just in the last month or two, I transitioned to Universal Robots and I'm doing global segment strategy for welding, for arc welding in the, in the metals industry. So, you know, I have a lot of experience in fabricated metals. I have some experience in other markets like food and beverage, as, as well as I'm very active in the local Cincinnati manufacturing community through our organization, AMIP, Advanced Manufacturing Industry Partnership. And I think we're probably going to talk a little bit about that more later during the show. Right, Ann? That's correct. Yeah. And before we get uh, into the questions here, I want to remind everybody that if you're tuning in live here with us today, if you just want to stop by and uh, drop a shout out and a comment, or if you have any questions for Will, drop those in the chat. As we go through this show, we'll bring those up and answer those. I'm laughing because Sully, Michael (laughs) Sullivan, is already blowing up the chat here. And he's not wrong. (laughs) <laughs> He's not wrong. Will Healy He's... does not need an introduction to this industry. And it's I... good to see. I know. He's awesome. 
I got um, I got to get to Chicago and visit their new office. Some of the pictures I saw online a couple of weeks ago look awesome. So got to got to right? go visit Sully. <laughs> it's like Sully, can I come work for you? I want to come hang out with y'all. It's a cool looking office. (laughs) It is. It is for sure. So, Will, so not too long ago, I guess back in June, you know, it was somebody's really good idea that I host this karaoke event in Charlotte. (laughs) That may have been my idea. (laughs) Whose idea was that? That was that was an, a couple of a couple of beverages with some good friends. I think all came together with that idea. So, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Well, I have the best of friends. I just want to mm-hmm. let everybody know I have the best of friends because that was so much fun. And so we went and we did that, mm-hmm. and you bailed. <laughs> you yeah. bailed. I did. Yeah, I had to speak and. I was all set to join you, but the flights in Toronto were so messed up that I had to, I said I was coming to your karaoke event and then at the last minute I bailed. So I think I owe you a song today or something, right? <laughs> you definitely owe me a song. What would have been your karaoke song had we gotten to do that? Oh, and there's so many. I mean, like, I, I, I love so many different genres from, you know, Don't Stop Believing" with Journey to Party in the USA with Miley Cyrus. I'm a big Red Hot Chili Peppers fan. So like Under the Bridge, you know, sometimes I feel like I don't have a partner. Like if I'm going to pick something, it depends on the mood of what's going on in the in the karaoke bar and what everyone's been singing. But I love Landslide by Fleetwood Mac. Really, honestly. Honestly, the one that's always funny that no one thinks of, but is always a jam is, do you remember Wonderwall by Oasis? You're gonna Gotta be the be one, the one that, that saves me. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. <laughs> and no one ever thinks of that one, but man, that one is, that one is there. Then, I mean, I like old school, like musical, like Rodgers and Hammerstein, like Music Man style songs. So like the Beatles covered some songs like Till, Till There Was You was always a good one. You know, old Beatles songs. It just depends on the feel in the karaoke bar. But yeah, I I love to sing. I sing to my kids every night, and and I got lots of songs. The lyrics may not all be there, but I got the I got the heart of it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yes. Yeah. You've given me some good suggestions as well for that night. So those are all fan favorites for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Well, getting more into the technical conversation of the show here. You're a huge name in the industrial automation space with your roles at Balif and now with Universal Robots. I've also seen you at a few <laughs> trade shows as a speaker, <laughs> as a Definitely. participant, and I've even seen you work a booth, Will Healy. Yep, yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So what are some of your favorite innovative technologies that you're seeing out and about right now that you feel will have the most impact on the way we work? in the manufacturing industry? Yeah, and I mean, great question. There's so many that are really, um, what I would say were pipe dreams five years ago. You know, I've been speaking for a while. I give this presentation like eight technologies that'll disrupt your business. Um, I'm actually giving that uh, in in early next year for the webinar. I'll I'll share in the comments later where that that is and, and what that for, what's that for. But like, there's lots of technologies that are gonna disrupt 
the manufacturing and they were kind of just like these pie in the sky ideas like drones like okay yeah the quadrupeds are cool but no like seriously there are things that they're doing now with the quadrupeds and with aerial drones inside factories that are actually really valuable to manufacturing and so a couple of them that i think are most interesting especially talking about workforce and technology i think exoskeletons are really interesting and the reason i think exoskeletons are really interesting is because the worker, really, we've got to be able to keep the life of the worker better. We've got to be able to invest in the workers because there aren't enough workers. So how do we get them to stay? We make the job better. And the exoskeleton gets rid of that physical, dangerous part of the job. It makes it uh, more repeatable and safer for them and more comfortable for them than it, than it would have been in the past. And so I've seen a lot of really cool exoskeleton technologies really, uh, recently that, that are really making the lives of the worker better. And I think those are cool. I also think condition monitoring, and this one's kind of a, a loop a little bit, but stay with me. Condition monitoring looks at vibration or temperature of, of a piece of equipment, so like a motor on a conveyor belt or something. And we, and there's a lot of, you, you hear about predictive maintenance and you hear about AI and machine learning and you hear about all these things. And all of those things really boil down to monitoring the equipment or changes and deviations in the, in the health of the equipment. So if it's vibrating more, something's going on. If it's getting hotter, something's going on. And so getting in and repairing those things, predicting a failure before it occurs, these are important as a workforce solution. I'm gonna tell you why right now. And the reason they're important as a workforce solution is one of the most dangerous times in your factory is when there's a machine down. And I've seen some really cool presentations from industrial insurance companies industrial insurance companies that talk about how when a plant is down, when you have an unplanned downtime, that is a dangerous time for your workers because everyone's pressure's on. You got to get the line running. Everyone's working fast. Everyone's, you know, frantically trying to fix something. And that's a moment where injuries can occur. And so condition monitoring, predictive maintenance, machine learning, AI, it reduces the amount of unplanned downtimes and reduces the amount of risk of injury inside of a factory. And I think that's really important for workers right now. They want to know it's a safe place to work, that it's not a dangerous place to work. And then the last, that was two, but this is three. The last technology I just want to talk about for sure is collaborative robotics. I think when I look at this, a robot as a tool, the idea of how can, how can we think of a robot as something that's helping the worker do their job better. You know, the, the, the role I'm in now is doing welding with a universal robot. And that is really interesting because a welder may have to weld a hundred of the same parts, bent over a table, sparks flying, like that's a tough physical job, but you gotta have the knowledge of how to weld. And so this idea of the robot as the tool, the welder applies their knowledge to the tool, just like that weld gun's a tool, just like the power source is a tool, just like the table or the fixturing devices are a tool. The robot is a tool to help the welder do their job. It's, he sets up, she sets up the, the welding path, they get the robot going, and then they move on to the next path and the, to the next robot and the next tool. And so the welder's more efficient, their, their return on investment for their lifestyle is better because they're not just exhausted or back hurting or, or just sick of doing the same well bored out of their mind. So when I look at technologies that are really revolutionizing what's going on inside a factory, I see this kind of, you know, mobile robots, collaborative robot space. I see condition monitoring. And then I really see those, you know, kind of exoskeletons, those, those worker augmentation devices and, and just wearables in general. So. 
That's awesome. Yes, that's such good information for us. There's a lot of potential with all of those technologies, you know, and I'm really excited to see how that unfolds in the future. So, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So kind of building on that question about technology and, and what you're most excited about for the future, what are some of the things that you've learned over the years in industry about how people should remain the focus of the manufacturing process? And how do you feel those things have made a long-term impact on your own career? And were there any experiences that you had along the way that stood out more than, than others? Wow, big question with multiple parts there. I think it's really when we look at technology implementations, whether it's whether it's a collaborative robot like a universal robot or it's a $100 sensor from Balif, if the people aren't prepared for the technology to come into the organization, whether it's a $100 prox or, you know, thousands of dollar robot, it's really going to struggle to succeed. And so over the years in, in working with manufacturers, trying to be successful, I've kind of realized that the people part of this, the change management part of this, the, the really educating the people and engaging the people and working with the people is, is much more of the work than the actual integration of the technology. You can hire an integrator, you can buy some automation components, you can put them in your, in, your, in your production plan. But if the people don't understand why it's there, if the people are afraid of it, you're going to really struggle to get the productivity you're expecting out of that technology. And so I really like, um, I've got a friend, his name's Paul Groggle, and, and he runs his own consulting firm for like smart manufacturing implementations. And he always talks about people, processes, and products. Like in that order, you have to get the people on board first. If you don't have the people on board first, you're never going to be successful. Then you have the, the, the process. You know, I think we've all tried to automate a process, even in our home lives. If you try to automate something that doesn't have a good process, it's not going to be good automation. I mean, automation relies on reliable and well-defined processes to be successful. Things that aren't a good process aren't good candidates for automation or for technology in general. And so if we don't have good people in place, if we don't have good processes in place with those people who are engaged, the technology will never be successful. The product will never be successful. And I think that's the thing I've, I've really learned and taken away. When, when, we've, when we've had a customer buy something and it doesn't work, when you really dive into why it didn't work, it was typically because there was something inside that organization in the culture of that organization or in the engagement from the management to the to the operators of the organization, something was disconnected in the people part of the business. So, and Mike Nager, I don't know if you could throw up his comment, but he, oh, he, yeah. he, he makes a great addition there. We've got to have training, right? That's part of that people process part. If people aren't trained on that equipment, they're, they're going to struggle with the technology, whatever you put in place. And so, yeah, absolutely. We have to rethink how training is. You know, training used to be you sent someone offsite to, you know, Atlanta or something for a week and they took a training at a manufacturer. But um, when we look at how we learn now, we all we all look things up on YouTube, right? Like I'm a professional plumber and a professional electrician and a, a professional yard maintenance person from watching YouTube videos, right? I mean, I can I can repair my own tractor and I'm making videos about how to repair the tractor because they don't exist for my model. I mean, like all of us watch YouTube to learn and you watch two, three minutes and you move on. And that's the way that people learn now. And so how we train people 
it's not about sending someone away for a clinic for a week. It's, it's really about making information available to them to get their, to learn what they need to learn and to get their job done and move forward. And then the next time they need to learn something, if that means they learn for 10 minutes every day, then that's, then that's how we need to set up the training. Not, not necessarily the way we used to train people. And I think that's hard in manufacturing because we have this general send them away. We don't have time to send them away for training kind of thinking in manufacturing because we're all struggling for people. Mm-hmm. No, that's absolutely true. And breaking it up in little segments, you know, that really stuck out to me from that, from your response there. Why do you think that that's kind of the, the new way that we'll train in the future? <sighs> Yeah, I think everything moves so fast and there's so much change now. I think we all kind of feel this, like the pace of change is faster. Even if you look at the automotive industry, like it used to be like, it would take four years from concept of a vehicle to like the vehicle actually being in production on the road. And those timelines, even inside the automotive industry, that's a giant, very complex business are really shrinking and 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 getting faster. And so there's there's less time to do all of the planning and the long-term strategizing and all those things. You have to really, you have to figure it out and then you have to move forward to the next thing. And so um, I think all in business and in life, I mean, there's lots of, of macro trends and micro trends causing this, but I just, I think the way we consume information now, I mean, between social media and the, the, just the way that our lives are constantly changing we, we need to keep self-educating ourselves. And, and the only way to do that effectively is to get little bits when you have time is, is really what I see. So. I think that's some great, some great points for sure. Let's change gears just for a minute. You know, we're always on, we do Workforce Wednesday, hashtag Workforce Wednesday. Um, we're here today, right? Days. Yeah. <laughs> Happy Workforce Wednesday. Happy Workforce Wednesday. Um, yeah, but we we've started this whole kind of movement. I'm not sure. I think Aaron Prather actually started this whole. He, he did. Yeah, movement. Aaron absolutely yeah. started it, and it's it's such a good one. It, it really is. Just having awareness of workforce. I really love it. Hashtag Workforce Wednesday. Absolutely, and not only are we advocating online for workforce development, but will you done your part in creating the local area workforce and uh, creating some pipelines, opportunities there for people that are interested in upskilling their careers and all that good stuff. And, you know, I've kind of dubbed you again, I've dubbed you as the manufacturing industry's <laughs> big brother. Change my tag down here. <laughs> you take, you take good for it. You take good care of us, you know, when we're right. lost and, new directions but besides that as a brother could you give us some brotherly advice on some of the ways that you've developed workforce development programs in your local area do you have any thoughts or suggestions on how anyone that is interested in advocating in their local area or maybe they're a nonprofit and they just got some some grant money to uh, create a workforce development program. What's what has been your best experiences in developing workforce development on a local level? Wow. Okay. It's a huge question, but I'm going to try to boil it down into kind of three-part answer here. And I think, I think really uh, 
if you're looking at how to engage locally and you have to engage locally, like you cannot wait for NAM, the National Association of Manufacturers across the United States to fix this. You can't wait for it to just magically get fixed. Like our workforce and talent and, and pipeline problem that we have in manufacturing right now that is going to get worse. It, we're not over the hill yet. The only way we're gonna fix this talent pipeline problem is through local action in our communities. And by that, I mean the school down the street from your factory, you have to engage that if you wanna fix your talent pipeline problem. The, the local tech school down the street or the local union shop, electrician union shop, whatever it is that is by you, the way you fix this is locally. When you're, when you're at a soccer game, so it's really going to be three parts, right? The way we fix this locally is three parts. I think through personal evangelization, I'm going to talk about that. I think through engaging with other industry, uh, other, other manufacturers in your local area, engaging with the industry. And then I think engaging with local partners in schools. I think those three things are just really important. And so that personal evangelization is important. Like what we do is cool. What we do is cool. Yeah. I don't care if you, you just make structural metal parts for a car. You can point out in a parking lot and probably point at, I made a part that went on that car. It's cool what we do. And kids think it's, makers are cool, right? 3D printers is like a huge thing on, on the internet. And, and lots of people are in this kind of maker mentality. So we have to connect that we make stuff and we have to evangelize. So when someone asks, what do you do? Don't be embarrassed that you work in manufacturing. Hey, I make parts that go in cars. That car you drove here tonight, I made a part of that car. I made the food that's on the table at this party tonight. I made the machine that fills the squeezy pouch with applesauce that, that your kid's eating at the soccer game. We have to. We have to personally evangelize about what we do because moms and parents, I'm not going to single out moms specifically, but parents they help their kids decide what career paths they're going to go after. And right now, the image of manufacturing isn't great in the parent community and in the grandparent community. And so the way we fix that is through local action and through personal evangelization. The second thing that we have to do, Anne, is, is we got to engage with other manufacturers. You're not the only one with a problem where no one has the math skills you need. You aren't the only one with the problem where transportation is a problem or childcare is a problem. You aren't the only one. If there are three factories on the street, I guarantee all three of you are having the exact same problem. Go knock on their door. Say, can I talk to the owner? I'm the owner of your next door neighbor. Let's talk to each other and work on ways that we can do that together. And if you, and if you don't feel like you have a next door neighbor, virtually every community has a local industry sector partnership, an ISP. And, and so in Cincinnati, we have the AMIP, the Advanced Manufacturing Industry Partnership in Cincinnati. And this is all the manufacturers working together on workforce topics. And when we all speak with one voice together, we can get the schools to put in place the math skills that we need out of our, our hires. Whether they're skilled hires or entry-level hires, we can then speak with a louder voice together. Small communities, large communities, there are opportunities for you to work together with other manufacturers. And I just ask you to reach out and find out who they are. So that's my second one, right? A personal evangelization in your community, working with, with other manufacturers to have a louder voice. And the third thing is really, really, really 
you got to engage with the schools. You've got to engage with those, those local apprentice training programs. You've got to engage with the tech school. you got to engage with the, the, the electricians union. You've got to engage where the kids are getting educated. You've got to engage that elementary school down the, down the street. The real sweet spot is the middle school, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, ninth grade. These are the grades, seventh, eighth, ninth grade is where the kids decide what their career path will be. Seventh, eighth, ninth grade. And so we got to engage the middle schools down the street. We got to engage the, the, the community around us to make sure that the programs are full. If there's an, an electrician apprenticeship program, let's make sure that those kids are thinking about being an electrician. Let's make sure that mom agrees being an electrician is a good opportunity. Let's make sure that we understand welding is a good, a good career path. Let's make sure that um, we're getting mechatronics people and maintenance techs into the programs that are there. And you do that by engaging your community. And so offer a presentation to the school down the street. Offer a tour of your facility to the local scout troop. They actually have to get a badge, and Every scout has a, has a manufacturing badge. They need a tour. So go reach out to the local scout troop, seventh, eighth, ninth graders. Let's get them into our factories and help them get that manufacturing badge. That's something that's an opportunity for us to engage with the, with the, the schools and the education programs in our communities. So that was a really long-winded answer, but I mean, like we all have to do personal evangelization. We've got to engage with other manufacturers and we've got to get in, get in front of those schools. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that from what you're telling me today, it sounds kind of like uh, building a workforce development pipeline really begins with being active in your hometown and in your <laughs> community. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. This gets fixed through local action. This gets fixed by you engaging the school across the street. I love that. I love that. Well, I think we've got time for one more question today, if that's okay with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, I titled this episode, An Investment in Technology is an Investment in Your Workforce. Where do you feel the true value of investing in technology for your front line is? And what are your long-term hopes for the adoption of more technology in manufacturing? And how do you think this will give people more meaningful work? Yeah, sure, Anne. Uh, I think... Some people call it Industry 5.0. I really don't like Industry 5.0, but this worker at the center of philosophy, I do really believe in. And when when we put the worker at the center, you can really see the value that comes out of that. Um, you had Ray Atia on. I, I don't know if that was right before me or a couple episodes ago, but Ray talks about run, improve, grow, and I won't I won't double back on everything he says. But there is very proven when when your frontline workers are at the center of what you do, when your frontline workers are invested in your organization, that's when you really start being successful. And so for me, when we look at technology as an investment in your workforce, I want us to be thinking about how the technology not only creates a financial return on investment, but I also want us to think about how it creates a lifestyle return on investment for our people. How does it make the lives of our workers better? And we do that by eliminating the Ds, right? Uh, Jake Hall, the manufacturing millennial, always says there's four Ds. 
dull, dirty, dark, and dangerous. I think, I don't know which one of those is the one he added, but dull, dirty, dark, and dangerous. When we, when we focus on eliminating the Ds for our workforce, it raises the lifestyle ROI for our workforce. And when we raise that lifestyle ROI for our workforce, they can go home and not be exhausted. They can, they can go and cheer for their kids' Little League game. They can play with their, their two-year-old on the floor at the end of the day because their back doesn't hurt from being bent over a table all day. Um, so this, this idea that you know, technology is not just straight-up financial return on investment. It's about creating a culture where your people matter and investing in the lives of your people. And how do we make the lives of our workers better? Because that makes the job more interesting. That makes the job more fulfilling. And it makes the job more interesting for the worker. And we have a lot of case studies at Universal Robots where when, when the, the robot is brought in and helping with one of those Ds, the people are just happier and more fulfilled. They say, I, I'm not just a person that loads a machine. I'm a, I'm a robot wrangler. I'm a, I'm a robot programmer. I'm a robot supervisor, right? Like there's some great titles out there that I've heard that really raise the value the person sees in themselves in the job that they're doing by adding technology to their work. And so when we're having trouble, when we're having trouble, when we're having trouble filling our workforce pipeline and, and we're having trouble attracting workforce and we're having trouble attracting young people into our organizations, how we present the technology and how we invest in technology has a direct impact on our hiring and our recruiting and our retention. It has a complete and very visible impact on those things. I always talk about what does your plant tour, when you're interviewing someone, right? You walk them through the plant and you're like, this is what we do, this is where you work. What is your plant tour communicating? Are your floors dirty and half your light bulbs burnt out and do you have no natural lighting? Has the bathroom been cleaned this month? Are you showing technology? Are workers working with technology? Are workers working with dashboards and computers and tablets and AR headsets and drone pilots and, and uh, a spot the dog quadruped robot walking through? Like what? I'm not saying you have to have all this crazy technology, but it, what is your plant tour communicating? Is your plant tour communicating that you're investing in your company or is your plant who are communicating that you don't care about the workers? And so this is really a key part of it. And if you use your plant tour as a filter, you can really see, is technology an investment in your workforce? Absolutely. First of all, I love your passion. <laughs> Thanks, Anne. <laughs> what we, it just what makes we do, me, it's like so inspiring. What we do is amazing and we should be proud of what we do. Yeah, we should. You're, you're just, you're just so inspirational. Will you really are. And I just really appreciate your passion for manufacturing and workforce and, and all of that good stuff. And I'm just over here nodding because I can't, I just can't agree anymore with your philosophy on all that. So I appreciate that for sure. Thanks, we do. We have one more question. Do you have time for one more question? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We have one more question before we close out the show today. Chris S. asks, counterintuitive for whom would manufacturing not be a good fit? Yeah, that's a fair question, Chris. My gut reaction would be there's an opportunity in manufacturing for everybody, but that's probably not what Chris is looking for, for sure. 
think people who like making stuff, people who like working with their hands, people who like solving problems and, and really, um, those are really good fits. I really, probably if you, you like history and writing, maybe manufacturing isn't the, the, the perfect fit for you, but manufacturing touches so many places because I, we started this whole thing saying, I have an engineering degree, but I've never, I don't really engineer things, right? I've worked in sales and marketing my whole career. So if you love writing, I'm in manufacturing sales and manufacturing marketing. And so I get to do those things that I prefer differently. So I'm going to answer your question, Chris. I guarantee it's going to cause a conversation in some LinkedIn chats with us later, but uh, I'm going to say there's probably an opportunity. Manufacturing touches so many functions from accounting to IT, to, to marketing, to sales, to, to logistics, to supply chain, to just so many different aspects and has so, so such a big impact in the community and the types of jobs it creates in a community. Even people, I mean, a lot of manufacturers have restaurants and they're trying to upscale the quality of the food in their restaurants. I have a friend who works um, on the north side of Cincinnati at Makino, and I've gone to lunch there and the food is fabulous. Their chef is incredible at Makino. And so like they're, you know, even if you like cooking, there are opportunities in manufacturing to really contribute to the value. And the workers love the food that they're making, right? And, and like to be there in the cafeteria and connect with each other. So um, even if you are a chef, there are opportunities in manufacturing. I, I know that's not an answer probably Chris is looking for, but that's that's the one I'm going to stick with. So it is it is probably I mean, just looking at the labor market information and pulling the job titles and the roles and everything that I've seen and dealt with, it is probably one of the most diverse industries out there for the breadth and, and bandwidth of occupations, if that helps. It, it does. <laughs> Absolutely. I totally believe it. Like the manufacturer is an employer. And then the different types of skills and roles inside of a manufacturer's employer has to be one of the broadest in, in the job market, in my opinion. No data. Usually I'm good with BLS data and I'll have to go look that up and make it a post in the future, I guess, and see. Thank you for stopping by. Before we close out here, if anybody is wanting to reach out to you, connect with you, I know you have your own hashtag, mm-hmm. Will I Automate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, for sure. What's the best way for people to stay in touch with you, connect with you, reach you? Yeah, yeah, great, great question, Anne. I am a notoriously bad communicator for someone who works in sales and marketing, but uh, LinkedIn is really is, is the best tool. DMs are great there. Uh, my cell phone number is on there. Text messages are good. Email is probably the worst way to get a hold of me, to be perfectly frank. I'm on Twitter actively. I'm on LinkedIn actively. I'm sometimes on TikTok. I have a love-hate relationship with that platform. I also really love on Reddit. Reddit can be a dark horrible place, but it can also be a positive, supportive, uplifting place. There's some really great subreddits there about um, automation and PLCs and manufacturing and metals where people are really helping each other solve problems. And there's some engineering ones there where students are having identity crises and and want advice. And and I love to give advice to students there and and talk about it. So Reddit's another place to, to, to find me, but really LinkedIn and Twitter. Those are my, those are my two main platforms of choice, I guess. I love that. I love that you're so passionate about helping other engineering students as well. That's, that's awesome. 
Well, I think that is everything that we have for today. Thank everybody for coming by and dropping your chats and comments and questions for Will. 